This message is brought to you by Trinity Community Church in Cary, North Carolina, where we love God, love others, and make disciples of Jesus. For more information, check out www.tritrinity.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Good to be with you. Today's a special day. It's fascinating, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I heard someone say on the radio, it's a, it's a day America waits all year for. <laughs> uh, Sunday morning, when we get to worship the risen Lord, that's not what they meant, actually. But, um, special day because we're eating steak and kidney pie today, which also has British sausage in it. And it's about half a day operation. And so in honor of you know, my, my wife's Scottish heritage, I, I, I had to wear, wear her tartan today. I told her she should wear her um, kilt. She said, you know, I, I've had that thing since I was 20, and it's really tight. <laughs> she can wear it. And I said, honey, the fact that you can wear what you had when you were 20, and now you're 25 or whatever it is. That's amazing. Uh, and this morning, my sweet wife, when she travels with me when, when, when I preach, um, um, she'll just pray for me as, as we're driving somewhere. And this morning, as I was about to leave, she came out of the bedroom where she was getting ready, and she, uh, she took this hand in both of her hands, prayed for me. And I, and I told her afterwards, I said, you know, that, that brings me joy. And I want to ask you, church, Trinity Church today, Galatians Church is back when, what happened to all your joy? Because in one sense today, I'm going to answer the question, what is the gospel? The gospel is joy. Not just joy, but mega joy. Literally what Luke's text says. As the angel, literally, I'll use that word again, says, I evangelize, fear not, I evangelize you. That's what he's doing. He's an evangelist. I evangelize you with good news. Good news of mega joy. Of great joy. I came to the Lord when I was 18 years old. Gone to church all my life because I lived in a small town an hour southeast of here. And, you know, unless you were a reprobate, you went to church. Didn't mean you were a believer. By the way, my, one of the things my wife prayed for this morning, besides praying for me, that if anyone here who does not know Jesus, that the Spirit of God would bring you to know him today. Amen. So you have been prayed for by uh, a wife, my wife. Now, what was I talking about before I got off? On, <laughs> you'll have to prompt me. I'm 73 years old. <laughs> some, some of us can relate to that. Well, 
anyway, I, I wonder uh, if, if Luke and Paul, the times they were together, if they ever talked about joy, if Paul ever said, you know, sometimes I have to address churches and say, what happened to all your joy? You Galatians, you got off track. You know, uh, I, I, get, I get circumcised and I put down my ham sandwich and now I'm really a Christian. Paul says, no. Paul, in fact, who had someone circumcised, as you remember, <laughs> he, he said, if you allow yourselves to be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. He's asking a question, what happened to all your joy? But he knows the answer. You've gone off track with the gospel. Because the gospel is such good news. And I remember what I was talking about. When I was 18, I came to Christ. Had no interest in the Lord. I, I hated church. I counted every minute. We, we pretty much did the same thing every week. So I would check off each thing to think, when am I getting out of purgatory? That's how much I love the Lord. And this gal I know in school gave me a, um, gave me a gospel tract, an university tract, very simple one, just pictured our sin and our separation from God. And I, and I read it. I read it at the halftime of a football game. That's how ravenous I was for it. Well, I got a couple of minutes here. I'll read it. And I read it because she was cute. But the Holy Spirit had me on my knees weeping in my bedroom. Of sorrow of my sin and joy that they were forgiven. And now I'm not 18 anymore. And the gospel has been like a freight train going by that never ends with all the glories of the gospel and yet somehow, even with that, my joy wanes. So I wonder if Luke ever said, you know, Paul, you're talking about joy. Believers having joy. You know, the angels came. And I'm writing this book about Jesus. And it's, later on, they're going to call it Luke. <laughs> but it's the story of Jesus. And, and the night Jesus is born, the angel spoke of joy, joy for this gospel, good news is now here. What I was waiting for for 18 years but did not know it, that's what it is. It's that good news. It's, it's not the joy in or the end anticipation to or the forward-lookingness to a game but life in Jesus sins forgiven so this morning I want to just talk some about that gospel it's it's breadth and it's depth I thought about making two points, the breadth of the gospel and the depth of the gospel. I could do that, but it's actually a little artificial because it all runs together. 
It's all deep and wide, isn't it? More than we know or can imagine. And that the Spirit, by, by the Word of God, would help us not simply hear the words of the gospel. As Paul gives us those basic yet glorious words. Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. But we'd hear that music, right? We'd hear the music, the melody, the beautiful music of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That would make us dance like David. Don't worry, I'm a Presbyterian. And if I dance, you won't even be able to tell it. (laughs) But may at least our hearts dance. So, the Gospels, depth and and breadth. How fascinating, how wonderful the angel comes with the word, don't be afraid. The angel came to Daniel, don't be afraid, you're greatly loved. Think three times, Daniel, you are greatly loved. And Jesus, we know, his most oft-repeated command was not tithe, was not go to temple or synagogue, was what? Was fear not. More than, isn't that wonderful? More than any other thing, he says, fear not. And he knows we fear a lot. And so he comforts us. Fear not. And so the angel, not speaking for himself, of his own volition, but for the Lord, angel of the Lord, theophany, I don't know. His words are, don't be afraid. You know, the, uh, heard someone mention recently, the, the King James says, they were sore afraid. I don't use the word sore afraid, but you know what it means. They were really afraid. They were greatly afraid. And he says, for, because I bring you, I evangelize you with good news of great joy. And he uses that word for, uh, kind of, don't be afraid, and here's why. Here's my argument. For, I bring you good news of great joy. It calms our fears. For it is for, or because it is for all people. All kinds of people. For, because a Savior is born. Who is Christ the Lord. The gospel is such Wonderful good news that, that the apostle can, can boldly command us. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And it's a command. It's not a suggestion or whatever. Or not rejoice when things are really going well. When the stock market is up and the IRA isn't trashed anymore, maybe. And rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. This fear. And that's the fear we're in, isn't it? There's nothing else. All, are, all the others just falling away. And fading away. Rejoice in the Lord 
always. Paul says, by the way, if you didn't hear me, and again I say, rejoice. Now, Apostle Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that, and it's true. You know, when um, someone is weeping because a loved one died, don't slap them in the head and say, cheer up. <laughs> That's not appropriate. Sometimes we rejoice with tears and weeping. And underlying that sorrow is joy. Because sorrow is temporary. And death in the Lord is temporary. It's very, very temporary. My, my wife has a little, one of these little wooden things with a saying on it above our door. And it says, I didn't think growing old would come so fast. And it do, brothers and sisters. It is a, it's a twinkling of an eye, is it not? You were a little boy running around, weren't you, Ken? Now we don't run and we're not little boys. No, don't try. I'm not going to try. Used to play basketball and jump. Don't jump. Can't jump. I mean, I'm just not physically able to jump. I've had COVID twice, and each time my blood pressure has just crashed through the floor. I mean, you know, uh, under co symptoms for COVID, it just, just should say everything and anything, right? And the first time I passed out and I fell flat on my back on the hall floor, my, my wife was in my office on a Zoom call and she came out and um, she, had, she had heard me fall. And I remember falling down and I rolled over to my side because my hip hurt a little. And I remember thinking, hmm, am I dying? And this seems like a way you could die. You just collapse and you're lying there. I remember thinking, this isn't too bad at all. We'll talk about that a little later. That, that particular fear. The gospel brings joy. And it's interesting, you know, those, you used to have those TV segments of good news. I think they just gave up on that, right? <laughs> on the TV news and that. And good news on TV might be, it's got to be about a puppy or something, right? <laughs> Here's good news, this cute little puppy. Or that, in the old days, the newspaper guys out on the street, read all about it, read all about it. Good news, good news. Well, what's the good news? Just great joy. Good news. What's the good news? Great joy. And how can it not be? J.C. Ryle, uh, commenting on this, says we, on our, this good news of great joy, we need not wonder at these words. The spiritual darkness which had covered the earth for thousands of years was about to be rolled away. The way to pardon and peace with God was about to be thrown up unto all mankind. The head of Satan was about to be crushed. Liberty was about to be proclaimed to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. The mighty truth was about to be proclaimed that God could be just and yet justify the sinner for Christ's sake. 
Salvation was no longer to be seen through types and figures, but openly and face to face. The knowledge of God was no longer confined to one nation, but offered to the whole Gentile world. If this was not good tidings, there never were tidings that deserved the name. This is the good news of great joy. And therefore, Paul asks, what happened to all your joy? He asks a serious question. Shouldn't the good news, and does it not, outweigh the anxiety, the anger we have over everything from losing a game to losing a candidate in the election? Should it not outweigh it immeasurably, infinitely? So that when you think about the gospel and what Jesus has done for you, those things take their proper places as small and fleeting things in the hand of a sovereign God who knows better than you or I. A friend of mine who is probably the best Christian I've ever met and I don't know, what does that mean, the best Christian? So at one sense, it's a contradiction. <laughs> I mean, Paul was one of the worst, he called himself the worst sinner ever. He was one of the greatest Christians ever. But this friend of mine that I would just say, you know, if you want to point to a Christian, right there. And this person, not surprisingly, is full of joy. As they're full of Jesus. They're full of the gospel. If you cut them, they bleed gospel. It is our DNA in Jesus. Gospel is deeper than our deepest fears. Fear not. You can toss a coin into a well, a deep well, and you wait a second, you haven't heard it yet, and then plop, you hear it fall. But it takes a little bit. It doesn't take five minutes, but it takes a little bit. And you're, wow, that's a, that's a deep well. You know, there's a, therefore then evidence that this well isn't bottomless. It has a bottom. But there's no evidence that the gospel, this power, has a bottom. That it's deeper then my worries about my children, my marriage, my challenges with my health, my financial difficulties, my wondering why doesn't that boy like me? Will I ever get married? Why did I marry this person? Why did this person die? Through all those things, God's love is bottomless. It reaches to all of our fears, all of our worries, all of our concerns. I said we made steak and kidney pie yesterday. I don't know why it's not called steak and kidney pie and sausage, but it's all that. And um, it's marvelous. <laughs> it's strong. Very strong. 
And last night I thought, I was lying in bed about 11 o'clock, did we put that away? I knew we did. I remember doing it. I remember taking a thing and putting it in the fridge after it had cooled off. And I thought, you know, if I got up in the morning and it was sitting on the counter, spoiled, I'd be weeping in the morning. <laughs> and I got up and looked, even though I knew of our fears. Oh, they grab us. They grab us. But Jesus has you stronger in his strong hand than all of your fears have you. Your fears has a loose grip. This is good news of great joy. <clears throat> I love the hymn, Thou mayest smile at all thy foes. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And I smile at all my foes. All the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. You know, people don't only have a fear of what they can see and what they experience, but also the unseen. Think about Latin America, many places there where, where there's a mixture of Christianity and their ancient worship of their idols, their false gods, that, that, that synchronism, which neither one of them are real, right? That kind of Christianity isn't real. And there aren't real gods that they worship. Yet they, they continue their, their fear of the idols and they're wanting to honor the idols, whether it's leaving food by a tree or, or whatever it is. Because they don't have a true fear of the Lord. They have a fear of these things that aren't real. That's a fear of the holy. Their idols aren't holy, but to them they're holy. And the true God is holy. The glory of the Lord shone and the angels were what? They were so afraid. Not only unredeemed, but unglorified man, we fear in the presence of the holy. Remember in Mark 4 and these stories in other places, Jesus and his disciples are on the sea and the storm comes up and Jesus is sleeping and they wake him and say, you know, these, these fishermen, they're used to being on boats in storms. And they say, we're all going to die. And Jesus says, peace be still. And this double miracle, the wind stopping, but the waves stopping. You know, if there's been a strong wind, it can stop, but the waves can do. But it was calm. And the disciples no longer were afraid. Do you remember that? Not exactly. They were Terrified. There are two words for fear there. They feared the storm, but when Jesus calmed the storm, they asked, Who is this? And the word is phobia. 
and a phobic reaction to the holy. This man is not just a man. And we are in his presence. What are we doing here? But we don't have to have that dread of God now, do we? In fact, we come boldly to the throne of grace. Now we just don't come tripping in. What's up, Doc? We don't you guys like that, do we? No, we don't be too familiar. Sort of like my I remember my grandfather, my father's mother, and he actually died a long time ago when I was nine years old, perhaps. But I remember having what sort of approximates a godly fear for him. I wasn't afraid of him. He wasn't mean. He was just venerable. He was this farmer who would sit out on the porch and smoke his cigar. And if you sat in his lap, you were sitting in the lap of royalty and almost holiness, it felt like. Whatever that felt like when you were eight years old. There was that deep, loving respect. But there was not that craven fear. Right? Because that loving, respectful, holy fear addresses all of our fears. Because there could be no greater fear than that. To fall into the hands of a living God apart from the blood of Christ. Right? Good news and great joy because it's for all people, all kinds of people, even shepherds. When we used to live in Africa, I worked mostly with the Maasai people out in the bush. I love the Maasai. The Maasai raised cattle. And some of the Maasai say, well, cattle grazed the land and God made us cattle raisers. Therefore, the land is ours because we need the land to raise our cattle. And therefore, the cattle on the land are ours, even if they're yours. Right? That's the logic. So sometimes we recover our cattle. We go to the next town or the next tribe. We're not stealing. We're just recovering our cattle because it must be ours. And sometimes shepherds, they recovered a couple of sheep, perhaps. And you remember, shepherds were not allowed to testify in court. You know, we have these beautiful pictures, these idyllic pictures of shepherds. Shepherds weren't viewed that way. They were viewed as the scum of the earth. And that's who God comes to. Isn't that what Paul tells the Corinthians? Not many of you were noble and so forth. How many of you were wise? I hate to compliment you that way, but that's the truth about us, isn't it? God takes the lowly. It's for all kinds of people. When we lived in Kenya, in Nairobi, we worshipped at a church called New City Nairobi. There's sort of a network of New City churches um, in the States. I think the first one was actually in Chattanooga. If you remember the name, James Ward, the singer, he, he, 
he still leads music at that church. And um, not a long time, uh, very racially mixed churches. And that's their goal. They want to reflect more of the body of Christ in that sense. And, and our pastor, uh, Joe Matuki, uh, who is a Kenyan, grew up in a place where I've been, which is like the dark side of the moon. It's way out there. And Joe grew up out there. Very bright guy, went to Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. And he worshipped at New City. And he saw black and white people worshiping together and, and other groups. And he was really convicted. He was convicted to reach out to the Indians who lived in Nairobi. Nairobi is full of Indians. There's a great book called North of South, which is about Nairobi. It's the best city north of South Africa. And uh, it's written by an Indian fellow. If you've never been to East Africa, if you read North of South, it's like going on a trip. He just is spot on. And uh, he was in Jamaica one time, and somebody said, why are so many of you Indians here? And he responded, we are everywhere. And that's true. But, but many of Joe's African friends, or people he, he knew, they didn't think Indian people could even be saved. That wasn't possible, was it? They were this and we're that. And Joe was convicted that's not right. So we worshipped at Joe's church when we lived there. And it was about half Indian. And the rest were black and white. He, he's reaching out. Indian people are getting saved. They actually can be saved because the gospel is for all people. I'm just one group. You know, I, I um, you know, I, I don't want to handle this well with people, but I, I find it fascinating when when Christianity is referred to as white man's religion. That's insane. I mean, really? Did it, did it start in New Jersey or something? I don't remember that. <laughs> I thought it was in the Middle East among those people. And uh, yeah, a couple of the great early theologians of the church, weren't they from Africa? Yeah, actually they were. You ever heard of that guy, Dustin? Yeah, he was an African, by the way. White man's religion? We were late to the table, brothers and sisters. You know? But we have to be careful not to make it our table. It's the Lord's table. It's the gospel table for all people. Are you for all people? I don't mean you're for everything everyone does, because that, that would be wrong. But, but, but are you for all people and that you love them because, you know, God loves people. And you could lovingly witness to this guy, even though his, his politics are different from yours, because it's his football team, but hopefully we don't get down that far. Something's different about him. He looks different from you. He speaks with a different accent than you. All of those things. 
Or are we predisposed? You know, there, there, there's a word I, I hear Christians say that breaks my heart. That word is idiot. X is an idiot. Your neighbor is an idiot. Your president is an idiot. Your wife, uh, your, your children's teacher is an idiot. Should not be a word for believers, brothers and sisters. That should not be a word. Should not be a word we use. For you are a great sinner who deserve hell. And chew on that before you speak of people. Before I do that. Cleanse your vocabulary of such language because it affects your heart and your ability to love your neighbor and to even want to bring the gospel to your neighbor. <laughs> it's good when you go off script. Maybe the Holy Spirit. It's good news for because the Savior is born. Why do I need a Savior? People might ask. You know, in the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith and Catechisms, which we use in my, my denomination as our, kind of this is a summary of what Scripture says. We speak one of the questions about our sins and misery. Most people would say, I have a few sins, and I kind of like some of them. Not much misery. But yeah, that, that's really the truth about us. Whether we know it or not. Our sin and our misery. Uh, and so the same thing might be, I don't need a savior, I'm doing pretty well. Things are pretty good. Well, we do need a savior from our sin, don't we? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul says this is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Someone may deny sin in terms of God's law, but a semi-honest person will find it hard to disagree with the statement, do you break your own standards? I can't keep my own standards. I surely don't keep God's standards. And so Christ died for us. He was buried. We will be buried too one day soon. Soon. But Christ was buried also. He is sanctified in the grave, he has saved us from the fear of death. Death is a powerful fear to which we've been held in slavery and bondage. Last night I was worried, did I leave the steak and kidney pie out? Or am I going to die tonight? 
Those are different things, aren't they? One of them's stupid. One of them's a reality. And so, as I told you, passing out with COVID, lying there, and it was kind of a, it's kind of a neat, you know, God just sort of gives you experience. I don't know if that was a preview of coming attractions or what. <laughs> but just, just lying there, wonder if I'm dying, and I thought, well, good. <laughs> that would be kind of nice. Especially to die this very pleasant way. <laughs> you know, kind of pleasantly go into the presence of Jesus is, is not exactly the worst thing I can think of. I don't know about you. It's not natural to, in one sense to want to die. Jesus wept over death. Even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead in a minute. It's not how it was meant to be. But it's not the final word. Because the one who was buried rose again according to the scriptures. And that's the final word. That's the final word in your life. That there is resurrection. There is currently resurrection working in this decrepit, decaying body. And there will be glorious restoration. For Jesus makes all things new. The angel said, is born to you a soter, a savior, who is Christ the Lord. This uh, word soter, savior, and the word for salvation, uh, salvation which is often used for physical healing. Uh, soteria. You may recognize a word in there. I know pastors do and Probably you too. Soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, soter. We have a savior, soteria. We have salvation. In Mark 5, when a woman with an issue of blood all these years was, was healed by Jesus, he uses the form of the same word. Your faith has saved you. Now, Maybe her sins were washed away too of that, but I don't know. But he, referring to the healing, says you have been saved. Part of the saving power of Jesus is in healing. Now, some people take that to mean, well, everybody then should be healed. Well, how's that working out for you? I mean, yeah, everybody dies. <laughs> so apparently, whatever the last thing was, you, you weren't healed of that. Can't get healed of getting old but our bodies shall be healed go back to 1 Corinthians 15 we'll have a new body in a new place it's not going to become decrepit my, uh, my wife's parents last few years of their life lived in this wonderful home it was a great great place like a kind of rest home, retirement home. It was for different levels of, of need. And they had a chapel. I've spoken in that little chapel before. And I can count one, two, three, four, five or so rows of chairs here. Well, in that room, they had like two or three. And then the back half of the room was empty. No, no chairs. I remember going there the first time, I thought, well, this is a bad use of space. I don't quite get this. Well, so many of those people were in wheelchairs, right? 
and they needed space. Uh, and, and at the back of that place was this mural painted. And the words that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll run. They'll walk and not be weary. And one day those people in those wheelchairs are going to run. One day Ken and I are going to run. And we're going to walk and not be weary. Because Jesus will heal us, these bodies, totally, completely, forever. So brothers and sisters, what happened to all your joy? Your gospel joy. The late Tim Keller was um, in Oxford several years ago. and um, Not Oxford, Mississippi, but Oxford, England. <laughs> talking to students there, I guess the Christian Student Union there, whatever, IV group, I'm not sure what. C.S. Lewis Society, maybe, I don't know. They, uh, they organized this thing for Keller to come and, and speak, speak to students who wanted to come to this hall, uh, believers, unbelievers. And, and, and Keller had a question and answer time. I would never have a Q&A time with students from Oxford. <laughs> I would run. <laughs> and they would run me out. And this, this young fellow stood up and said, um, Dr. Keller, if you Christians believe all this, why aren't you more joyful? Isn't that amazing? This unbelieving fellow. If you Christians believe all this, why are you not more joyful? And so Keller said, sit down, you idiot, stupid, unbeliever. No, he didn't say that. He said, you are right. I apologize. We are Christians should repent. Because if we believe these things, you should see in us the joy of the gospel. I need to repent because too often I let the passing things, which are real, brothers and sisters, I'm not outplaying our hardships and our difficulty and our pain, but is not that underlying, undergirding, glorious, mega joy upholding us? And so the world can see these people are different. I don't know what they have, but it's kind of interesting. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth. Your truth alone stands and will stand. And it is good and glorious news for each and every one of us who believes. Help us to believe. Help us to receive that gospel joy that you have for us. For you, Jesus, are our joy. And we pray in your great name and for your great fame here and in all the earth. Amen.